That's sweet. Thank you. Sweet. Hey, good morning. Uh, welcome to Rimrock in the beautiful day in western South Dakota, you know. And so we'll take them as they come, right? Um, you know, we're, uh, we uh, did the thanks to uh, Josh and Mike and Donovan and everybody who helped. And there was one other person who wouldn't let us call him up here. It's Pastor Mike. And I don't know if he ran off, but he probably did. But uh, Mike just went over and above, and he's like, it's my job. And I'm like, oh, no, it's way beyond your job. So as you get a chance to, uh, to thank him, he spent so much uh, energy and time down there with the exchange. What a blessing. You know, uh, we're just kind of going through this process where we're starting this study, and we're looking at contentment. And Bill and Pat and I are digging through contentment, which, of course, means that we get that shined directly on us first. And so it's always an adventure to see what God uh, brings on your heart as you're, um, as you're going through the studies. But you know, everybody on the planet searching for contentment. There's not a one of us that's not. And so we try relationships, we try careers and stuff, and money and, and houses and education, and we try and be in the best health. We try whatever skills we can pull off. We think somehow if we can just get something different, something more, something changed, then all of a sudden we'll be content. What do you think will make you content? What do you need to change to be content? You know, if you could leave here today completely content in your life, what would it take? I'll give you a chance to think about that. What would it take? You see, those questions kind of reveal to us where we're investing our lives. What's important to us? What's, what, what we want to pursue? And, and I want to kind of be in our faces today, and, and I really want us to ask, where are you investing your life? And is it worthwhile? What are you ascribing worth to? What, what has that, that, that worth that, that is worth the price of your life? See, I want to let each of us know that every single one of you is here for a purpose. There is life beyond this earth. There is something more to it. So we need to ask ourselves, first of all, do all our treasures that we're pursuing, that we're trying to accumulate, have expiration dates? You know, are you involved in something greater than yourself, something that has eternal value, something that you, that, that you can pass on, that does, that's beyond you? You see, if not, if we're just kind of going for all this little stuff of the world... I believe contentment's always going to elude us. Always. It's going to just be right out there beyond our grasp. Just can't quite figure out why. I always need more. I always need different. I always need something to change. I can't quite get it. I'm always frustrated. You know, we're looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, and, and Paul said he learned to be content. It's something you learn, and he learned in all kinds of circumstances. He learned with many different people because he found a worthy investment for his life, knowing Jesus Christ sharing the gospel. And I want to challenge you and get you to think about that it's really, it's never too late to invest in knowing God. My desire today is that each of us will experience God. That's what I've boldly been praying and that's what I'm asking. That God would show each one of you his perspective on your life and on your circumstances. Every single one. That's what Paul learned. I've learned to be content Humble needs prosperity. 
I've learned to be content, filled, hungry. I've learned to be content with abundance and with need. I've learned to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And imagine if each one of us in this place was content in our role in life, was content in our place in the family of God. Realize that what you have right now, this moment, is what you need to be content. The deception of the world is we find contentment from things outside. We live life from the outside in. There's always something that needs to change, and then if I could just change this one thing, I'll be okay. That's a deception. Contentment. Life is lived from the inside out, and it's available now. We've, we've looked at contentment. It's, it's having everything we need independent of all these external circumstances. We don't find contentment outside, right? Contentment is like possessing everything sufficient for our own needs. To be self-contained is really what the word means. It means to, to really within this body, within this family, within our lives, we have what we need. We're looking at the life of Paul and we're looking at this letter that he wrote to the book or this book that he wrote called Philippians and it was to the church at Philippi. If you have your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brethren, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Let's just stop and pray. Father, we just stop. We want to hear from you. God of the universe, I pray that you would just pierce through every single one of our circumstances and our barriers and the things that are distracting us and the things that are taking us away from you. And I pray that you would just pierce through to each one of us, God, and by the power of your spirit that you would change us, that you would speak to us, that each of us would leave here not thinking about everyone else, but thinking about you. May you be glorified. May you be honored. May you be lifted on high in our time this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul goes, I want you to know, brethren, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That brethren is men and women. But remember that Paul's writing to the saints, to the believers at Philippi. And this is a Roman colony in Greece. This included, we looked at a few weeks ago, Lydia, who was this wealthy merchant who uh, was this dealer of purple... Uh, fabrics and they were used for royalty and she had a really successful business she became very hospitable to Paul and his friends this church also included the slave girl who was demon possessed and set free uh, by Christ and by through Paul this 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 church also included the jailer who was this Roman soldier who got to experience God bring the earthquake that set the chains off of Paul and Silas and he got to experience that and he and he turned to Christ and so you had like this wealthy, you had the middle class, you had those who were, were just the slaves, all made up in this community, and they were from different backgrounds, different nationalities. That's the church, okay? And it had been probably about four years since they'd heard from Paul, so you can kind of imagine what they're thinking. They're, they're hearing all kinds of rumors of what happened to him, and he had traveled really through most of what is now Turkey and Greece, and he wanted to go to Spain, but he was redirected. So Paul comes and he says, I want you to know about my circumstances. And, and, and his circumstances were amazing. You know, Paul was forewarned that if he headed to Jerusalem, he was going to face suffering. He was forewarned that, that prison was going to wait. And of course, there was the false accusations. There was this mob that tried to kill him. 
there was this deadly plot against his life. He was kept in prison. He got to share the gospel with Felix and Festus and King Agrippa and all these Roman dignitaries in Caesarea. All of a sudden, then he's shipped off to Rome, and they suffer the shipwreck at sea. He's with all these prisoners. They barely survive. Finally, he arrives in Rome, and he comes with the condemned, and they drag out for about two more years as he's a, stuck in prison awaiting justice. And you just kind of think of all the frustration and all the del delays, and ultimately, somewhere else, Paul wrote, these are my light and momentary afflictions. And now many of you have suffered in your lifetimes. Many of you are suffering now. And suffering is not all like this. You know, there's millions who live in constant fear in our world. There's millions who live trying to just get enough to eat. There's, there's the majority probably of the world's population that lacks what we would consider comfortable housing, comfortable clothing. Why? Why is there all this suffering? And you see, suffering springs from sin. Not from sins, plural, from sin. When God created this place in, in Eden, there wasn't suffering. But man chose to reject God's way, turn his back on God, go their own way, and all of a sudden now we live in this world filled with sin and we're surrounded by suffering. And there's all kinds of different circumstances. There are all kinds of suffering. God has different purposes for, for allowing them to come into our lives. You know, some suffering is preventive, right? It reminds us that we have to depend on God. Some suffering is corrective. It's uh, chastening. Uh, when we get off the path and we turn away from God and we turn to sin, he'll bring us back. Suffering at times is, is a correction. <laughs> at times, it's, it's, it's really constructive. It's for our spiritual growth. And I know so often we look back on those painful times in our life and often think those are times we really grow. We grew close to God. We got to know him. It's constructive. At times, suffering just wakes us up to the needs and the struggles of others. Our daughter, Maria, is working on her PhD and, and she's doing her dissertation on the theology of suffering. How would you like to study that for three years? And uh, it's kind of the basis for this book, but Marie and I were talking about suffering and, and uh, several things that she's, uh, she's looking at it through the eyes of the Puritans because they thought it was really spiritual if you suffered. And, and the things about suffering that really kind of struck her through that time was how it inverts the power structure. Uh, for example, you know, here they're trying to control Paul and they're trying to control Paul by being powerful, but God's still in control. Really what this proved that the Roman authorities don't have ultimate control. God does. And so through suffering, we often get to see and experience the presence of God. We get to see this God who is spirit. So that even though suffering may change our body state, even though um, you know, we may have physical suffering, we may be locked up, but God controls everything and there's no change in God. So in suffering, we get to see this true state of, our, of a person's soul, who they are in Christ. The emperor may control people's bodies, but they can't control their minds. They can't control their souls. Certainly cannot control the spirit of God within. In verse 12, one commentator said this, in one deft sentence, Paul shifts the legitimate interests of the Philippians from himself to the great undeterred purposes of God in history. You see, all of a sudden, they're worrying about his 
situation. They're thinking about Paul. They get this letter from him, and they're thinking, what's happened to him? And he just says, I want you to know my circumstances. Okay, here's what, here's what I want you to know about them. They have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And that word greater progress is a term that meant advancing uh, under all circumstances. It'd be like an army taking over a land. And, and that word is like clearing away the trees, clearing away the undergrowth, marching along. That's the idea, okay? That's how the gospel's move. And you see, the Romans thought that Paul was chained to their soldiers. Now think about this. They thought that Paul was chained to their soldiers, right? They thought, okay, we got this guy. He's chained to our soldiers. But God had chained the soldiers to Paul. God had chained the soldiers to Paul. And I tell you what, so often in our circumstances, it takes that little subtle change of paradigm to realize the amazing opportunities we have. You see, we can all of a sudden change our perspective of our circumstance when we realize that God's in control and he has good plans for us. Even if you can't see him. Even if what is happening doesn't make sense. Even if it's a suffering time that we don't like, we can be content. It might not even make sense on this earth, but we're eternal beings. We're, we're spiritual beings. There's something there that we can't often see with our physical eyes. And so I really want each of us to ask, can my circumstances possibly advance the gospel? Think about that. Verse 13 goes on, and this is really God's investment strategy, I think. He says, my investment, or my imprisonment, Paul says, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And I wrote in there as I was studying this week, this is my, my chain verse for circumstances. My chain verse. And, and you see, uh, here's the deal. Can you show that map of the, yeah, there you go, Roman Empire. Look at how quick my kids. It's like amazing. I had this thought, and there's a map. And, uh, and, and, but you get a picture of this Roman Empire. This is 100 after A.D., after, okay, and it's a little after Paul's time, probably, when he was dealing with all this. But you get a picture of how massive this empire was. Now, if it was your idea to reach the Roman Empire with the gospel of Christ, no internet, no TV, no phone, right? How are you going to do it? Okay? You know, probably send people out one by one. And, and they did some of that. And, and, and so you kind of get this idea of thinking like, how am I going to do this? Well, if God's strategy is brilliant, okay, because he's God. That's something to think about. But his plan is perfect, even though we don't often understand what he's up to, because he's like this God who's above us, who's putting everything together. And here's Paul, who's a prisoner now. And you would think then that that just derailed his missionary career, right? But the imprisonment, God used to blow open the doors for the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. It's amazing. You see, we got to understand Paul's situation. Um, we get a little sense of it in Acts chapter 28 um, that he was chained to a guard, but he had his own place. He had his own place that he rented so people were free to come and go. But he was chained. Even Ephesians 6.20 says, I am an ambassador in chains, okay, proclaiming that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He was allowed to stay by himself in Rome, but he had a soldier guarding him. He was an ambassador in chains. And what that word chains are is that word where there was a chain between the wrist of the prisoner and the wrist of the soldier. So Paul sent to the captain of the Praetorian Guard to await trials, 
and he's waiting, and, and Acts chapter 28 tells us how long even. Uh, at the end of the book, at the end of Acts 28, he says, Paul stayed two full years in his rented quarters. He was welcoming all who came to him. He was preaching of the kingdom of God. He's teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with openness, and he's unhindered. You get that picture? For two years, okay, he's chained to a Roman guard. Now, the guards would rotate every six hours. They heard Paul preach. They heard Paul talk to his friends. They watched Paul write. They heard him dictate. You know what? Some of the letters that we hold in our hands today in the Word. That's what they got to experience. And, and just think of the Bible's impact on the world. These guards were there when parts of it were written. And Paul has this new audience four times a day. 28 times a week for two years. Over 29 different, 2,900 different shifts. And obviously some of those guys went back. You can imagine how it wouldn't be that bad a duty probably if you came to Christ and you wanted to go back there rather than some of the people they had to guard, right? But over and over and over they were chained to Paul and they heard, they heard the message. And all the guards knew he was in prison for the cause of Christ. And you know Paul took interest in them. He learned about their families. He learned about their struggles. He learned about their, their situations and their needs. And many were touched and many came to faith in Christ. They were chained to the Apostle Paul. Now this was the Praetorian Guard, which, which we got to catch this because it's amazing God's strategy. Okay, this is the Imperial Guard of Rome. And they began under uh, Caesar Augustus. And he, he, he commissioned 10,000 troops. He dispersed them throughout the Roman Empire. But by the time of Tiberius, Tiberius brought them back and he set up a camp near Rome for them to live. And as time went on, this Praetorian Guard became the emperor's elite bodyguards. These guards were kind of viewed as part of the household. They would serve 12 to 16 years. They were kept loyal because they were paid better than anybody else in the Roman army, often double what the normal pay was. They would get this incredible retirement. They would become citizens and get all that that brought. Now, they set it up so their leader could never be the emperor, that he could never be um, the Caesar, okay? Um, so he was much more like a knight rather than a senator. But you can imagine <laughs> that really they ultimately became kind of the kingmakers because if you didn't have the imperial guard on your side, it was going to be pretty tough for you to lead. But just think how impossible it would be for a Jewish Pharisee a religious leader who comes to know Jesus Christ on a road to Damascus to come and share the gospel with this group of hardened soldiers. You see, Paul's chains removed the barrier to the seat of power of Rome. Did God use him? Well, you know how this book ends, Philippians? He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Isn't that cool? God stuck all these guys that were the closest to the seat of power right next to Paul. It's like if we were ch chained and shared the gospel every day with every congressional aide and every senator's aide and every person that worked in D.C. and all of a sudden they dispersed back out. They heard this gospel. They're chained to Paul. And you know what he shared? The good news? He tells us what he shares. 1 Corinthians 15, I passed on to you what was most important. What's also been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins. 
Just as the scripture said, he was buried. He raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scripture said. He's seen by Peter, by the 12. He's seen by 500 others. He's alive, right? He's alive. And you get to experience life when you place your faith in Christ. This gospel is not something you do. It's done for us. We just believe. We just believe. Our sin is exchanged for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christians have eternal life. Christians have hope. And it's not because of what we've done or what we do. It's because of what Christ has done. It's all by God's grace. What a picture he's sharing, right? So my question to you is what or who has God chained to you? Maybe it's suffering for a season. Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe it's prosperity for a season. Could be adversity. We all get both trials in our lives, prosperity and adversity. <laughs> Maybe you have many in your life who are just unbelievers. They think Christianity is stupid. They think Christians are all hypocrites. They don't want anything to do with this whole Christian thing. And you're looking around and they're all chained to you. Maybe it's your desk. Maybe it's your job that's chained to you. Maybe it's your kids or a business or a classroom that's chained to you. You see, we can complain. We can want to change our circumstances. We can kind of want to change the people around us. Or we can ask God to really change the people around us. Love them. Accept our circumstances. The way we can do that is we realize that God has placed us where we are right now and we have all we need to be filled with joy. We just need to change our paradigm. We just need to change our thinking often and look with spiritual eyes. Ask God to show us what he's up to. You want to take control of your circumstances? Believe that whether they're horrible at the moment or whether they're great at the moment that God has great plans for you that he's God just trust him God put these soldiers chained to Paul he's put us in a place where he's chained certain things to us and what we need to realize is that we're all part of God's family if you are a believer in Jesus Christ you're part of God's family and that makes you part of the family business you see, our business, our calling, if you will, is just to be this body of believers, this community, if you want, that, that experiences and just lives out the grace and truth found in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. That's our business. We get to experience the grace and truth of Jesus Christ and live it out to everyone we come in contact with. And here's what happens when we're part of God's family. Philippians 1, verse 14, Paul goes on. Most of the brethren trusted in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Far, they have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. But some, to be sure, are preaching Christ out of envy and strife. Some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Rather than from pure motives, they think to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. 
and in this I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ will advance. Period. Period. God is building his church and nothing can stop him. Period. Nothing. And, and I know some long for the good old days. The good old days in the church. It's easy to look back to when we think everything was good. But if we even go back to Paul's letters, guess what we see? Persecution, divisions, chaos, marital sin, adultery, envy, pride, just like today. You see, we live in a fallen world. Christians are not immune. We can go back to the 50s when we think everything was great. And you know what we see? The same thing. When God allowed Paul to be thrown into prison, there were some Christians who jumped in, and they jumped in with these selfish motives, okay? Some of them, they wanted to get Paul in trouble. They wanted to get him in trouble with their preaching. Others were at odds with Paul, and, and they saw kind of maybe as him as competition in ministry, right? Some were maybe jealous of his gifts. Some were jealous of his following. There was this envy and strife and rivalry in the body. And he says some preach Christ out of selfish ambition, and that word there didn't have this negative connotation originally. Originally, it just simply meant they working for pay. Okay, it's just working for pay. But what happened was is that working with, for pay often came with low motives. Okay, so it's just like trying to get paid, just getting through the day. All I care about is getting paid. And the world became connected with their political system. And the idea was kind of to canvas for office. The idea was to try and build a following for yourself. Be self-seeking, have this selfish ambition. Uh, don't worry about the methods. If I can just get elected, if I can just get my power. And you see, that's what was kind of happening here in the body of Christ. They're thinking, now that Paul's in prison, here's an opportunity for me to increase my influence. Now, these were fellow believers in Christ. So Paul's faced with selfishness. <laughs> He's faced with pride within the church. And he responds with humility. And he says... I will rejoice if Christ is proclaimed. See, his joy is not tied to his critics. His joy is not tied to his circumstances. His joy is tied to his relationship in Jesus Christ. He looked at these chains with humility and he rejoiced whenever Christ was proclaimed. Do we? You know, I, I mess up in this area and I repent. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's on my heart so often. I, I refuse to compete with other believers who have bigger ministries or smaller ministries or different ministries. I refuse to, complete, to compete with those who have more prosperity than I or less prosperity. You see, I want to rejoice in others' success. I want to rejoice as God uses every single person's gifts. I want to be thankful that God has provided so many different gifts, so many different ministries different than what I'm called to. I want to just celebrate the body of Christ. I want to celebrate those who are prosperous. I want to celebrate those who have this incredible gift that they're walking with God and he's using mightily. Whether they're Baptists or Wesleyan or they go to the Assemblies of God or E-Free Churches or Christian Churches, we can learn from each other. We get to share in God's plan to impact the world. And so I want to rejoice. I rejoice in what we're called to. You know, we're called to this, this exchange life. We're called to celebrate the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And I love that. 
I love that. I love that we're called to abide in Christ and to surrender to him and to allow him to live through us. I love that we're called to just set people free and have this free place to experience the joy of Christ. And I mess up and I repent. But I really, really want to be the one that prays for others. I want to be the one that rejoices in their success. I want to be the one that rejoices in everybody's prosperity, just like it's mine. Because you know what? It is. We're all part of the family of God. Believers, we can rejoice when Christ is proclaimed. The gospel is done. We can rejoice. So as we land this thing, just really ask yourself where you're investing your life. You know, we only get one shot. One shot. Are you making a worthy investment? Consider how God is using you. Consider how God is using your circumstances to advance his plan. Consider what God has chained to you for his glory and just celebrate being part of his family. Now, I found this so much easier when we discover our role in the body of Christ. And that's finally kind of how I want to land this, just to to get you to thinking, is to get us to think about what's my role in the family business? What's my role in the body? Uh, Pat and I just did a life lab on spiritual gifts that we did it in one morning, but Bill and Pat and I did it over like, I don't know, 17 weeks, months, okay? And, and uh, so it's like this sense of trying to figure out our spiritual gifts, and often I think we minimize that in the body of Christ, but part of this process of understanding our circumstances is to understand how God has gifted us in the body to fit perfectly together. And so we're so easily distracted, we're so easily discouraged if we worry about what everyone else is doing, and we don't have a somewhat grasp of, of what our role is, okay? So just know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift. Every single one does. And, and this isn't just a talent, okay? This is a divine enablement given by God. They're the result of God's grace in us. That's what the word even means. This is not just a physical thing, okay? These are God-given enablements for ministry. And he's given each one of us at least one spiritual gift for his will. So there's no room for envy. There's no room for jealousy. Because all of them, all of them are essential for the body to function. And you can do the study. You know, just look up spiritual gifts. You'll find 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 in there. You'll find uh, uh, 1 Peter 4, 7 in there. Ephesians Four, um, and we'll, we'll kind of look at the ones in Romans just as a broad sense in Romans chapter 12. But just think about these gifts and think about what kind of motivates you. What motivates you? And you'll be able to kind of discover where you really feel God's pleasure as part of his family. Okay? So, do you love to proclaim the truth? Do you, do you love to confront others with the truth of what's in God's word? It's prophecy. Do you like to serve? Maybe you like to just meet practical needs. Maybe you're just motivated to serve others' needs. Maybe you like to teach. You kind of like to study. You like to clarify the word of God. You, you love to learn. You love to understand the word and teach the word. Or you just love to teach. Maybe you're, you're, you're motivated to exhort, to encourage others. You know, you like to see others improve and succeed. You like to, to really fix them in a nice way <laughs> and, uh, and really help, their, help them with their needs. 
Maybe you like to give. And you see a need and you love to give to it. Maybe it's financially. Maybe it's just your time. Maybe you like to kind of lead the charge and organize the charge. Really, it's this essence of coordinating the activities of others for this common purpose, like guiding toward a goal. Maybe you like to just be compassionate for people. You have the gift of mercy. You love to listen and to sympathize, and, and, and you just almost receive the pain of others, and you're just kind of drawn to them in their time of need. You see, there's many gifts, but usually if we can find kind of what motivates us, when we do, it just sets us free. It sets us free to walk humbly in our role in the family. And, and realize it's okay not to try and be everything for everybody, but also realize we'll all have at some level, we'll, we'll all be involved in all the gifts. We'll all serve at times. We're all called to give. We're all called to share the gospel. But there's a sweet spot, right? There's this, this place where we discover how the Father has gifted us. We sense his presence. We have right in it. Okay, so as I close this thing, just think about this. Imagine if you walk out in the parking lot and Mary has a flat tire. Do you want to serve her and change the tire? Okay, some of you would. Others would be saying, I hope someone else comes and does that, right? And that's okay. <laughs> but, or do you prefer just to give her money to buy a tow truck time to pay for a tow truck to come up there or if you don't have the money maybe you'll give her your time right maybe you'd rather give to her or do you want to go talk to her as the tires changed and you want to kind of talk to her as she's getting her tire changed about the more important things of life okay like do you know Jesus Christ as your savior uh, what's your relationship with God you know whether we have flat tires or not there's much more important things to worry about in this world maybe you're that person maybe maybe you would prefer to teach her all the potential ways to change her tire right and you could kind of go through the book or, and just look at it. Maybe she's got a full size or a donut. Maybe you could have a tow truck. You give her the options and kind of help her walk through that, right? Maybe you would prefer to encourage her just to let her know that it's going to be okay. And just to let her know that you're available for follow-up just to kind of make sure that she doesn't have any lasting fears about, you know, flat tires. And you'll come alongside her. Maybe you see the need and you rush back inside and you kind of put together a crew from the church here to go out and help this need. And, and of course, you kind of put together a flow chart, what everyone could do. And, and you've organized that, right? Maybe you just feel her pain and you just listen to her and you catch her struggles and you can relate to how it would feel if you were somewhere and you had a flat tire. Get the idea? You see how God can use any circumstance for the progress of the gospel? See how he's placed us all in different roles that are our sweet spots, that we can just share what Christ has done for us? Now we have to do what he has done for us. We have the opportunity to watch him work. So as the praise team comes up to close us, I just want to encourage you. Think about your circumstances and how God can use them to advance the gospel in your sweet spot where he's placed you. You know, wherever we are, whatever's chained to us, we can say with Paul in the book of Philippians, he says, I know how to get along with humble means, but I also know how to live in prosperity. I know 
how to get along in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled, the secret of going hungry. Have an abundance, suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, I pray that your uh, spirit would just pierce through to each one of us. Let us know you as God, you as Savior. Let us depend on you and surrender to you. And Father, I pray that you would just open our eyes to see our circumstances, our struggles, our relationships, our victories. Let us see with spiritual eyes how you're just using us for your glory and your honor. And just be blessed through us. In Jesus' name, amen.